Welcome to Penny Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf, who deliver you affordable to a performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. Thank you for pressing play. On today's show, we have a hero of mine as I was growing up playing golf myself. We have Colin Moriarty, but as Gay Byrne used to say, roll it there, Rosine. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Well, Joe Bradley, what did he get at? Welcome to Paddy Talks. In today's show, we have a Walker Cup winner, 2002 South of Ireland winner, two professional wins on tour, and now PGA accredited golf coach at Spowell Golf Academy here in Dublin, running rampant on the PGA tournament circuit in Ireland with three wins already this year. Colin Mariarty, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me. Happy to be here. Ten top tens from 13 events, of which three are wins on the PGA circuit this year. Sleeve Russell, Troll Farris, and this week at the Heritage, or when this goes out a couple of weeks ago at the Heritage, you're in a rich fame of farm. Yeah, I've been playing nicely, uh, playing nicely all year really, you know, um, kind of finds sometimes takes a bit of time to find your feet because, you know, I don't get as a chance maybe to play quite as much over the winter um, as I used to back in the day, as I say, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been good the last few weeks anyway. So how's life now? What's a standard week like for you these days or is there a standard week? Well, this time of year, obviously I'm busy, quite busy playing, like I still like to compete a lot. Um, you know, and then I kind of tied it in with my uh, teaching where I've been attached obviously in Glasson um, down at Athlone for many years now and um, they're one of my major sponsors for a long time and uh, I also do a little bit of teaching here in Spawell um, and I do some corporate golf as well so I'm kind of, I suppose, I, now, you know, I'm, I'm a PGA pro now as opposed to a full-time player um, so I've uh, a couple of different strings to my bow, as I say. Well, I'm from music country, so it's always good to have strings in the bow. <laughs> uh, we'll jump in the time machine for a bit, if that's okay. Can you tell me where you started playing golf, like from the early days and maybe how you got into the game in the first place? Yeah, I, I played all sports growing up, really. Um, like, you know, a lot of young people do or whatever. And I just got into uh, golf. My dad was a member in Athlone. Um, we had a great junior structure there loads of loads of juniors played like I suppose like a lot of clubs um, you know I think Mondays was our day for uh, junior competitions and you know it was it was fun first and foremost and um, you know it got a bit more competitive we had a lot of good golfers there uh, but it was just a great structure it was a really fun place to be you know we spent a lot of time there um, when we were young people and then I suppose as I got a little bit older you know golf took up more of my time and I kind of moved out of uh, you know soccer and GA and hurling uh, kind of moved out of those and became more focused on golf as I, as I kind of climbed the ladder. Super. So looking back into the, the annals as they are now of amateur golf in Ireland, you were a top amateur winning top events in a very competitive environment with the likes of Noel Fox, Oliver Wilson at the time, Gary Bolsonholm, who I've tracked all his, all his achievements in golf monthly every month, and Louis Eustazen was swinging into town around Royal Dublin for the odd win. What do you remember of your time of the amateur golf circuit in Ireland? 
Yeah, it was just it's just good fun, you know. You're just playing golf. We were we were looked after very well, you know. As I say, I kind of got involved with the golf union of Ireland from when I was probably 15, 16 years of age to Connacht uh, branch first of all, and then you know you get onto the national squads whenever, and they're kind of intertwined anyway. But you know, we were just great times. We were looked after really well. We got uh, a good basis for coaching, and uh, but generally it was just it was just great fun. I mean, you know, you start off okay, you play provincial golf, and then you go up to playing international golf um you know boys youths and seniors at the time or men's and and then you know you're progressing to walker cup and you know all the, the kind of steps feel kind of um they feel kind of natural um at the time but i suppose it's, it's only kind of afterwards and as you get a bit older maybe you look back and you really appreciate those days and um how good they were <laughs> you played walker cup with some of the greats and some like oliver wilson on tour now what was that what was that week like yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, you know, it's the pinnacle of amateur golf, isn't it? In in, in these shores, like to, to get picked, and you know, when you're growing up, I suppose, you know, you'd you'd love to play for Ireland at boys, I suppose, the first thing, and then you no, know, I'd love to play youth, I'd love to play men's, and you know, then I mean, to play Walker Cup, I mean, it's just it's brilliant. Um, again, to be honest, like you know, at the time you're just so into it and you want to do well and you want to play well. But really, it's as the years go by that you really start to appreciate it. You know, at the time, you're so caught up in it, like, um, in the competitive side of it, that, uh, that you really wanted to do well. I mean, my first memory of the Walker Cup was I went to, um, when it was in Port Marnock, I think it was 91, was it? Or uh, I think Carrington, Port Carrington played, Paul McGinley and um, uh, Garrett McGimsey was he, Garrett on that team. Maybe Garrett was our captain um, as well. But that was my first memory of the Walker Cup, you know, and, and, and from that day on, I suppose, I realised how big of an, of an event it was. Um, so, yeah, it was a huge honour to a huge honor to uh, represent Great Britain Ireland that year. Oh, definitely. Something, when I was growing up, I never got low enough. I'm, not, I'm only off seven now. But it was always something, aside from the south of Ireland, where I'm from, the south of Ireland, Walker Cup, home internationals. They were the kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. three peaks of the, of the year biannually that you kind of look out for who's playing, who's in the team, yeah. who's tracked to go pro, what's the stories. So yeah, definitely it's in, in our world, I suppose, maybe not in America, I don't know, but um, the Walker Cup is definitely seen as a pinnacle. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so your stellar amateur career, one that many top amateurs today would, would kill for, um, James Sugru maybe not. <laughs> um, but when did you know, or, or when was the compelling event when you knew that golf was the thing and you were going to go all in on that? Because at the time you were at plus five, playing Walker Cup, so what was the turning moment, the deciding factor? Well, I think, um, you know, from when I, was a, when I was kind of 15, 14, 15, I wanted to be a pro golfer. You know, that's what I wanted to be. But I didn't really dream of playing on the PGA Tour but it, or the European Tour. Times were different then, Paddy. You know, it was, there wasn't as much golf in your face on TV. Like, you know, but I just loved golf. Like, that's what I did. I mean, I spent from the time when I was 15 onwards, I, golf was all I wanted to do. I was, any spare minute I had was spent, as I say, in Athlone Golf Club. Um, but I'd say as I, you know, like I played boys golf, but I wasn't uh, like an exceptional boys player or anything like that. But just as I got, I got gradually got better all the time. Um, and, you know, as I started to play in the bigger events in England um, against really top quality players, and I started to uh, compete, you know, being able to hold my own with those guys. Um, and I think I played the Irish Open a couple of times, times as an amateur and you know I, I didn't make the cut but I, I only missed the cut by maybe one or two shots and I shot a couple of good rounds and I felt comfortable in that environment um, and you know I saw guys that I had played against turning pro and doing quite well you know um, 
like I said, Charles Schwartzel, I played against him a couple of times. He, he beat me by a couple of shots in the Brabazon one year. He won it, I finished second. So when you're when you're playing in those big events, I suppose, and you're you're you know you feel like you're holding your own against um, against the top amateurs, that was really the time that uh, I, I I was convinced I was going to turn pro. Yeah, it was something I would have read a few years ago now, around the time Lowry turned pro, that McRae was on tour maybe a couple of years and he said, you're dominating amateur, the amateur game, you're holding your own against the rest, so go for it. Mm-hmm. That was kind of, build up the confidence yourself and go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so turning pro then, and for all the millions listening, right, um, what's the steps, because I look at it from the outside what the media show me, and not that it's something I'll do, but maybe someone might be thinking about it. Um, who's 14 or 15 and think about what are in, in where I work for example you have a very structured path for career progression so you do this you hit, sit, you hit this criteria you're eligible for for that road right but in sports you know there, there's ups and downs the whole time so what's the route so like for me I see okay you, you announce you turn pro you try and get a couple of sponsors to back you because of the cost of, of living and then it's either Q school for Challenge Tour or European Tour, or you try and go up through Europe Road Challenge, etc. Is that the route, or could you maybe map it out? Yeah, well, I suppose that's the the I suppose the basic route. You know, I mean, if the guys are good enough, um, you know, the likes of Rory, okay, obviously, you know, exceptional, exceptional, like goes on, in, you know, gets his card out of a few events. Um, on the main tour or whatever but for the for most people they have to um they have to start as you say at q school try and get on the challenge tour or the main tour if not you got to go and, and fight it out on the mini tours which is you know it's a difficult place to be um but as i say really that's that is the route for most guys you got to start at the bottom and work your way up it's like that i suppose in most business you know that's what you got to climb the ladder it's as we said there the likes of rory or you know shane um, who obviously were exceptional players and, and got their breaks early um, but for most guys you got to start at the bottom and, and work your way up no 100% so like okay you've made a tour you're a pro or a challenge or, or European ideally but a tour is a tour so a life on tour so we all see you know the top 100 and the marquee guys between sponsors and winnings they can manage to get around themselves but we to preach not a lot of people appreciate I think that they move every week you know they're in Phoenix this week and then they're in Port Rush next week. Like I did a week in the hymns just following them and I'm wrecked this mm-hmm. week, do you know? Um, so like, can you maybe, we'll say, how did you manage? And I know it was 2003, but the, the, we'll say the, 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 the context may be the same in terms of how, how did you get from week to week and, and what was the travel like? Yeah, well, basically on a Tuesday, I mean, my first year um, was spent pretty much between Euro Pro and challenge tour and I got a few main tour starts as well kind of on the back of my amateur career and um, so you're kind of hopping around between a few different tours or whatever but you know there's a couple of Irish guys to travel with and um, playing the Euro Pro is very easy because you're just hopping over and back to the UK but then um, my second year as a pro I had a full challenge tour card and I also had a, a, um, a status on the main tour as well so that's when I suppose things began to progress a bit and there's a bit more travel we spent some time in South America um, at the end of the year and then at the beginning of the next year we were in South America again and down to Kenya and places like that so it's just a huge amount of travel Paddy to be honest people don't appreciate it and you know I had a management group at the time but you are to a certain you're a lot more responsible for your travel and everything than you were when you were an amateur you know when you're an amateur everything's brilliant you just get sent to 
plane tickets and off you go type of thing you know and um, but the travel is the biggest um the biggest change for for young guys i mean you know you're away probably 30 30 odd weeks a year uh, you're away on a tuesday you're back on well hopefully on a sunday night <laughs> maybe on a friday night you're scurrying through airports looking for looking for flights dropping off rental cars there's always hiccups along the way that people never hear of you know clubs lost flights delayed mix up in bookings all these type of things but that's all just part and parcel of the of the job you know i think as you might have touched on the really top guys you know and they're very very few really you know they might get to fly private and all that type of stuff but you know there's still no, no matter what level you're at there's always ups and downs there's always hiccups um but certainly the, the travel is something that people probably don't uh, fully grasp or don't fully understand until you maybe go through it yeah and then where would you fit actual practice in? So you're on the road 30 to 40 weeks a year and you're traveling hopefully from Sunday night late to Monday, you, you wake up, whatever. So between Monday and Wednesday, what's, where do you fit practice in and how do you structure that? Yeah, well, I suppose during the winter is, uh, you know, we used to go away for maybe eight weeks during the winter and do some practice, wherever that might be, and try maybe bring, your, bring a coach with you for a couple of those weeks. And But then when you're getting into tournament weeks, you know, you're really you're in play mode a lot of the time i mean as i say you get into a venue on a tuesday usually you might do a bit of practice play a practice round on the tuesday and then wednesday depending on whether you're in a pro-am or not um, that kind of dictates as to what your your routine is on on the wednesday and then uh, for the next four days you're in you're in tournament mode but you know obviously after your round or whatever you're working on your weaknesses but really a lot of your work is done the, a lot of your work is done in the off season fitness is a massive part of the game now and it's a tagline on this on this show, which we'll get into in other in other shows with the TPI specialists out there, Ty Carrington looking at you. But um, so it's a big part of the game now, and you're you're still a fit guy now. So did you look at that when you're on tour at the time? Then did you set aside some time for gym work or mobility work? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did a good bit of stuff when I was. Uh, you know, that was probably only the start of it. Kind of when I was. Um, turning pro or at the you know that was like 02 or 03 so the fitness was probably just getting bigger and bigger at that time um but no it was something that i spent a good bit of time doing um, but you can see now that's the biggest change i see in golf the guys are just they're athletes now everyone you know the distance that they hit the ball is um it's just different it's just a different different game now really you see all these young guys coming out like you see the guys there last week Matthew Wolf and these lads, like you know, it's just I know you. I know we're different gravy, yeah. right? <laughs> I know we're talking extreme, but like, yeah. um, but generally, um, the distance that guys are hitting the ball now is, uh, yeah, and a lot of that is down to fitness and uh, conditioning. Yeah, you play in the open, so every push I've ever hold in the practice screen <laughs> in the hinge was to win the south or to win the open, and I still do that because I haven't <laughs> played it either. So what was that like playing in the open? Yeah, look, it was it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, we spoke earlier about amateur golf and your kind of goals and, you know, reaching the Walker Cup pinnacle, your amateur career and that. But to, I suppose growing up, like you say, I'm same as everyone else playing in Athlone, putting green, everyone playing the Open is where you want to be, you know. Um, and t to play, it was the only major I've played, and to play it in St. Andrews, I suppose, was, um, was extra special. It was an incredible experience, you know. Um, and I suppose on top of that, I was fortunate enough to play with Louis Eustace in that week, first two rounds, and Louis obviously went down and won the tournament. And I played with Jeff Overton as well, who was a Ryder Cup player at the, that year. Um, so it was just, look, it was an unbelievable experience. But again, at, in, at the tournament week, 
you know you're just there you're focused you just want to play well but people always mention it to me now <laughs> um, and when I look back on it again myself I, I as I said I appreciate things more um, as the years go by but it was a fantastic experience to play the Open in St Andrews just incredible I read uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, Mr Harrington the other Harrington in the family uh, said that there needs to be more Irish guys coming through on during the ranks so it's great to see Robin Dawson doing well Conor Rourke from Nace where I live these days Gary Hurley Cormac Sharvin and there's a young Rory protege up north Tom McGibbon Keenan Rafferty's off plus six Suggsy from Cork is plus four so there's a pipeline full of talent right so what support or GUI or otherwise is there at the moment for, for those guys yeah, well, that, I mean, obviously the GUI support, as we say, it's very structured up until um, when you turn pro, and then when you turn pro, you generally move into the Team Ireland structure. Um, okay. But it's it's different, you know. It's when guys turn pro, it's they're all going their separate way, as you say. Guys are going to Alps Tour, Euro Pro Tour, I don't know, EPD Tour, Sunshine Tour, Challenge Tour. So it's it's just different, and you got to realise that you know you're going into a very deep pool of players. Like your top amateurs, there's top amateurs coming out every year. And then they're also going on to your more seasoned pros at all levels, you know. So while you were a brilliant amateur and you might have had a great career, but you go out to the Euro Pro and you actually realise, well, this is the third tier of professional golf, but there's a lot of decent players here too, you know. So you're just going into a deeper pool and you need to, no matter how good you are, you need to keep improving. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, and like if you're, you know, if you're only a fringe player on the Irish team here, well, you know, yeah, you're a good player, but you have to improve. I mean, you know, you're going to have to improve a lot if you want to get on the European Tour and stay on the European Tour, which, let's be honest, that's the only place you can make a living, is playing, like, mini tours, challenge tours, they're all great, but they're only stepping stones to them. The main tour is the only tour that you can survive on. Like, that is the bottom line. You know, you can't make a living playing on the smaller tours. So you just got to make sure that you're improving all the time and that your game is your game's in good shape, because if it's not... Um, you're going to struggle and like you said but you said in the past I rooted it out of the media <laughs> years ago the challenge tour the only thing about it is to get off it yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and that's the I mean look I, I mean I, and I'm speaking from experience here I spent pretty much eight years I never had a full main tour card like I had conditional cards on a number of occasions and I played a good few events but I struggled to get off the challenge tour you know and look I mean I've probably said these in different things before but the first year I was out um, was the, the closest I came to getting my card off the off the challenge tour although I went down I won on the challenge tour and everywhere else but there's no doubt that the longer you stay on whatever tour it is the harder it probably is to progress and the fa- the, the, the uh, stats will tell you that you know so I have one more question about tour life and getting into it and then we move into the easier questions right so I've turned I'm part I'm petty god for whatever else I've turned pro I've won the south and I've won the amateur like James Hugo and I've turned pro is it like when you're applying for a job, which is the real life for me, mm-hmm. when you apply for a job, do you go out to hundreds upon hundreds of companies and say, I've turned pro, can you sponsor me? Or do you go to the management agencies of the world, Ireland, UK, Europe, and say, I've turned pro, can you help me out? Yeah, well, an element to that? Yeah, well, I suppose in an ideal world, um, at the time, like an ideal world, the management groups would approach you, I suppose, in some... Uh, <laughs> that's the dream, isn't it? I'm waiting for it. Waiting for the call. <laughs> Uh, check your voicemails no but th- that's the dream isn't it that they approach you I suppose um, you know if you, I suppose if you're high enough profile um, you know again you'd hope that a management group would be able to um, 
get you some form of sponsorship but I guess for a lot of guys they're hoping for some local support probably um, you know or some connection that they may have in, in some business to, to get their to get them started or whatever you know but you know that stuff is important it's important to have enough money to play but really the most important thing is that your game's in shape do you know what I mean that's that's the big thing I mean like if you get there's no point having hundreds of thousands in sponsorship and your game not being in shape you know the biggest thing is that your golf game is is um, improving and it's at a level that it needs to be at because you can't buy your way onto the tour you know no matter how much sponsorship you have it's not going to get you uh, onto the tour the, the most important thing is yes look it's vitally important you have money to play of course it's very expensive to play professional golf but I mean the money is there to be won as well you know so you can you can make a lot of money by having your game in shape and that's the, the biggest thing I would say is yeah look have a couple of sponsors it's brilliant but don't lose track of that um, making sure that your game is at the level that needs to be no definitely so you've gone full circle you might say now in terms of you attained your PGA certifications and for those listening and hopefully some people are what is the PGA and I, a couple of friends of mine are, are going through it and have gone through it but like for anybody who's 17, 18 and they're like I don't want to go on tour but I love golf and I love teaching all the juniors in the club golf so I'll go down that route what's that course like to go through? Yeah well I went into it pretty late uh I only went into it, you know, I started my training in 2015 or whatever, and it's a long, I was a long time out of education at that stage. Um, and for me, it was pretty daunting, to be honest with you, you know, because it is, it's a, it's a college course. Um, you, you have all your different modules, coaching, uh, club fitting, sports science, you know, whatever else. Um, it varies kind of from year to year, but it gives you a good basis for, like you say, um, for coaching, for club fitting, retailing, because there's so many different facets to to a PGA professional, um, and, and it's changing all the time. You know what I mean? Back in the day, there were more traditional jobs. Where now, guys are, are branching out into all sorts of things. But it is it's quite a, a wide ranging course. But if a guy, you know, it's it's a tough business now. Golf in Ireland and everywhere else, like it's it's not what it was. You know, and um, there's probably less and less jobs for PGA professionals. Um, but if a guy is passionate about it and he has the interest it certainly um, it certainly can be an enjoyable career so from the tournaments you're playing in now on the PGA circuit and we'll say the number of lessons you're giving and all those people asking for lessons like myself how do you see like the strength of the game in this country at the moment in terms of the physical numbers of people playing yeah well, it's, it's changed or hasn't it like I don't know the numbers how many people are actually playing or the memberships are probably down generally obviously but there still seems to be a lot of people playing, nearly more a, a drift towards uh, nearly pay-as-you-play kind of golfers, yeah. you know, um, where the, the, the traditional membership of a club doesn't seem to be as attractive. But, you know, you can go onto your laptop there today and you can probably pick 30 courses around Dublin to play tomorrow for 30 euros, you know, whereas back in the day, if you weren't a member, you weren't allowed inside the gates so it's a it's a changing market you know what's right and what's wrong who knows i know the authorities are trying to do all sorts of different initiatives to bring people into golf but you know the, the modern world there's probably just people of other interests isn't there just the, the, the world changes but um, i think golf is still in a, in a decent place you know what i mean and it'll probably come back again um uh, in the future but Still, it's still a great pastime, and and the benefits of it, you know, are, are wide ranging. Well, you're definitely right, and I think facilities which enable practice, so like the spa wells, like um, say the Carlton houses and Glass, and that there's fantastic facilities in place 
they're the ones I always seek out because like I'm a member in the west of this country I'm not a member anywhere up here so I'm pure practice mode a good driving range golf so do you think there's a space there's a space gap in the market there for you know clubs or not country clubs but like clubs and memberships just offering out you can use our facility I think I've seen like three and five day memberships but they're still quite expensive though mm. do you think that's gap is there to be addressed or do you just you know if you want to play you become a member yeah well it's you know I, I think that when clubs when you give people options it might not necessarily be the best thing yeah. <laughs> if you know what yeah. I mean yeah if you give them four or five different options um, it mightn't be the I think clubs maybe need to be more offer more than just golf um, you know offer more other facilities as opposed to to just being able to play our course do you know what I mean I think that's maybe uh, something that you, know, you touched on it there with the practice facilities and these type of things so there's other options like a lot of people don't have time now to go and pl- spend five hours or whatever it is playing around the golf mm-hmm. but they might have time to go and use the facilities of the range or the fi- facilities of the club whatever they might be um, but yeah it's just it's it's been difficult hasn't it for, for clubs um, I know a lot of the bigger clubs up around Dublin they're still doing okay but you know down the country it's it's become a challenge for for a lot of clubs that traditionally were were um very vibrant you know no definitely and um, so I, you see places like hollywood seen that on social media the last few weeks and the facility obviously mr or mr mcroy's probably helped there but i know that if there was a club around dublin that had a gym and practice facility i'd choose that over having a decent course mm-hmm. to be honest mm-hmm. And that all ties in with the whole fitness side of the game as well. So maybe something for all the clubs out there, isn't mm-hmm. um, So many other questions now, right? So there's only three or four left. Then Q&A and then we're done. Yeah. Get out of this lovely heat and get up and play some golf. Um, you five minutes before your tea time. You rock up in the car like every other club gone for you. Five minutes. How do you warm up? Coffee and a cigarette or what do you do? <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose that the biggest thing is most members they should try and get there more than five minutes before their tea time you know john scared i'm looking at but, you but like a few basic any sort of basic movement to get the to, to get the the blood flowing like you know what i mean is better certainly better than a bacon butty and uh and a cigarette hand rolled or otherwise so you're talking pump out five squats few lunges yeah exactly yeah anything bit of rotation anything just to get the blood the blood flowing you know what i mean that's uh running on the spot little jog like i don't want to be um injured anybody here but, yeah. <laughs> you know but any sort of any sort of movement like any sort of movement um is certainly better than better than nothing uh, i'm a big fan of practice a lot of people say they don't have time for practice or there's others that hit the range all week and hit endless um endless buckets and hit them kind of aimlessly can you walk me through like an efficient effective 30 minute range session yeah, well, like, like again, you want to start with a, a basic warm-up again, you know, whatever that is, a little bit of mobility, um, and really then start from the short clubs upwards, you know. But a lot of time, you, look, you know, you go to the range, you look at any driving range, what are most people hitting? They're whacking their driver. You just want to get the clubs, get the short clubs out of the way and let me, let me bombs away. But start with the shorter clubs, spend a little bit of time in your distance wedges, work up towards your middle of your bag and then up to your longer clubs and then you can even you can even you know play a couple of holes i suppose like your whatever your your club is you can pretend that you're playing the first three holes or something like that 
you know, that's a, a kind of productive range session. But I would say generally for anyone to work on their distance wedges, you know, short game, spend a lot of time on their short game. Um, I really think that's where amateurs can, can peel a lot of shots off the score. And that rolls into, into like, where do you spend your packets and play? So like, I'm trying to do 50% range shark game pigeon and then actually spend 50% of my golf actually playing mm -hmm. would you concur with that kind yeah. of analogy or yeah I would yeah yeah like you know you don't want to become because obviously everyone knows it's different playing on the range versus playing on the course is different um, there's no consequences on the range I suppose not, not that there should be any consequences really on the course like what's the worst that can happen but you know everyone feels a little bit different on the course don't they than they do on the range um, so the practice on the range can be a bit static obviously of uniform lies all that type of stuff um, so yeah it's important to try and recreate the playing side on the range as, as much as you can 100% so I have a quick fire Q&A for everyone who comes on the show so get ready for this one right so first one that comes to your head right and hopefully the first one isn't Barbie girl or something <laughs> Now for this part of the show I've actually lost the audio the first question is as always Cullum, what would your walk-on song be? And after a bit of deliberation, Cullum picked Lady Gaga's Edge of Glory. So, to be fair, let's run that as the backing track for the rest of the Q&A. Jim or pizza? Uh, I have to say Jim. Hat, visor or bucket? Bucket, definitely. I'm rocking a bucket this year. Yeah, I'm getting one myself. <laughs> Happy Gilmore or Tinko? Uh, Happy Gilmore. Guinness or Heineken? Guinness. The Hinge Report Marnock. Ooh. That's a Kochi versus Tony question. Yeah. Well, look, I've, I've, had a lot of, uh, I've had a lot of success in Lehinch over the years, so I'll go with Lehinch. I'll go with it. Dante Haircut for good success. <laughs> Walk or cart? Walk. Win the Masters or win the Open? Win the Open. Would you rather drive it like Dustin Johnson or drive it like Zach Johnson? Dustin. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Play or practice? Play. Thanks for your time. I look forward to seeing you continue to win in the PGA circuit and have future chats here. Might play in a couple of primes in the future, you never know. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you, Cole. Thanks, Paddy. To close out each show, I have a segment for all of you, the listeners. So I posted a question on social media a couple of weeks ago at Paddy underscore golf on Instagram and Twitter recently, which I've received quite a number of replies on. So thank you very much for getting involved. The question was, why do you love golf? Leonard at LCGVN says he loves golf because it makes him happy and intrigues him at the same time. He loves speaking to the greenkeepers, long-time members and staff, and that golf is the only sport where amateurs can truly compare themselves to pros on each hole. Thanks, folks, for getting involved. Thank you all for listening. Hit the show a follow, rate, and review it if that's your style. Most of all, please share the show with your family and friends. Thanks for pressing play. Until Petito begins soon, I'm Paddy. Paddy.